Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So who is that guy? All right, I'm going to give you a couple of hints. His first name is Charles. He was uh, famous or maybe infamous in the 1920s. His last name is Ponzi. Now you know, he's, that's where we got the idea of a Ponzi scheme, like Bernie Madoff had the largest Ponzi scheme in history. But Ponzi's the guy who got it started. And what Ponzi did, he had this little scheme. He was buying stamps and he was having them shipped here. Somebody overseas was buying them for him, shipping them here. He was selling them at a profit and he was making money. But he decided he could make a lot more money if he got investors to buy in. And so investors started buying in. So now he's churning through a lot of stamps. And then he thought, you know what? If I just keep some of this money for me, I can do really well. And for a while there, he was making like $250,000 a day back in the 1920s. He was, what he was doing, he was taking money, he was encouraging investors. And then let's just say that that group over there are the first investors. And then he'd get this group to invest and now he'd start paying interest to that group. And then this group would buy in and then he'd start paying interest to this group. And then, and he, then it exploded. He got gobs, hundreds of thousands of people buying in and money galore. And he was doing really well. But at some point things shifted. And now the money he was taking in wasn't quite enough to pay the interest to the people who had previously bought in. And so they started saying they wanted their money back, but there was no money to get back. He started a Ponzi scheme. It was named after him. wonder if his mother was proud of that. No, I know she wouldn't have been, but... Uh, Job, on the other hand, became wealthy the old-fashioned way. He worked hard and earned it. Ponzi's world came crashing down when he was not recruiting enough people uh, to pay in. So there was a, this gradual process before it came to a crisis. People lost millions and Ponzi went to prison. Job's world came crashing down much faster in one day. Job had been the most wealthy and influential man of the East. He was a man blessed with 10 kids and he lost everything in one day. Most of the book of Job is an argument between Job and his so-called friends, his miserable excuse for friends. They believed his problems were a direct result of God punishing Job for Job's sins. But he protested his innocence and they kept badgering him to admit his own culpability. Now, to be honest with you, we have no idea why God allowed Job to suffer so much, but we do know what God said about Job, that he was a righteous man. And so his friends were wrong. I don't know why God allowed so much pain, but it definitely was not the judgment of sin. And God called Job blameless, even though his so-called friends still condemned him. In the midst of pain and grief, 
Job got increasingly angry with his friends and even a little bit angry with God for allowing this in his life. But in spite of his suffering, Job shared some spiritual insight that will encourage us today. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Job chapter 19. And we're looking at our great future. Our great future. Job chapter 19. And we're going to read just a few verses here in the book of Job. And we're going to think about it, talk about it, and learn some lessons from it. In Job chapter 19, in verse 25, Job says, "For now he's, he's had this ongoing argument with his friends, right? And they're saying God has now rejected him, and that's why he's suffering, and Job's arguing back at them, and he's saying, I don't know why God's allowed this in my life, and I'm frustrated by it. But then he says in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last, or in the latter days, on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart reigns within me, how my heart heart yearns within me. Some translations have it say faints within me. He was um, disheartened a little, but he's longing and yearning to see God. And he said, I know it will happen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace. We thank you that even when we face death, as some of our beloved members have recently faced and their families are grieving. Lord, we thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that we know those who have died in Christ are now with Christ forever. We're so grateful. We pray now that you would encourage us, help us to look beyond the pain of daily life and look forward to the glorious joys of living with you forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few simple things that I want you to see from what Job has encouraged us in. First of all, your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives. Now, Job came before Christ. We'll say, this is the time of Christ. And now we're about 2,000 years later than the time of Christ. And Job's not quite 2,000 years before the time of Christ. So Job lived probably before Moses. And Job's there, and the reason we say probably for Moses, for uh, because in the book of Job, Job himself is making the offerings for his kids. But after the law of Moses was explained and taught in Israel, then the priest started making the offering, and people would go to the priest to have the offering be made. But Job was making it, so probably Job preceded the law of Moses. And maybe while Moses was living down in Egypt, Job was living uh, elsewhere in the east. And so Job uh, lived quite a bit before Christ, but he was looking forward to the Christ who would come. He was anticipating that his Redeemer would come. And then there's all kinds of scriptures and revelation about the Messiah and the Redeemer and the Anointed One. 
and the Savior, and all of those point to Jesus Christ. And now we live in the days when Jesus has come once, but he also promises to come again in a two-part thing. The first thing he's going to do, he's going to come in the air and he's going to call us up, the believers, up to be with him. And then we're going to go be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord? And then the second part of it, he's going to come in judgment on those who have rejected him. And he's going to come and he's going to stand on the earth and he's going to conquer the kingdoms of this world. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And those of us in heaven will come with him and, and we will be with him. And then eventually there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But as Job was looking forward to the Messiah who would come, we also are looking forward to his second coming when he comes to call us home. And there have been many religious leaders throughout history and they all have one thing in common. They all die, every single one including Jesus. Muhammad died and Buddha died and Confucius died and other gurus and yogis and swamis and senseis, they have all died, but Jesus himself also died. But Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and every other guru or yogi or swami or sensei, they all remain dead. Jesus Christ alone rose from the dead. Now, if you Google and say, which religious leader rose from the dead, they're going to, there's a, a thing some person who rejects Christ has written, there's none out there. There's no evidence anywhere of it. Well, they've obviously not looked at the historical evidence of Christ and the radical transformation of the disciples between when Jesus got arrested and then put to death and they were cowering in fear, to they became bold and, and proclaiming and, and more than 500 people saw him at one time. And he's rejecting that historical evidence. But Jesus rose from the dead. Your Redeemer lives. You're not following the teaching of some person who lived a couple thousand years ago who had some good ideas. You're following the one who rose from the dead, who conquered death, who rules and reigns on high, who will come again and receive you unto himself, that where he is, there you may be also. God the Son was fully alive before he spoke creation into existence. Colossians 1.16 says, when, when Genesis says God spoke, Colossians 1.16 said it was the, God the Son who did the speaking, the voice of the one who would become Jesus the Christ. Job believed what he had heard about God and he trusted that his Redeemer was already living and that even after his own death, Job would see his Redeemer standing on the earth. Job looked forward to the coming Messiah who was revealed as Jesus the Christ, born in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago. We look forward to the return of Christ when he comes to call us home to be with him. So like Job, we can say, my Redeemer lives. Let me try that again. My Redeemer lives. Amen. All right, that's a little bit. Okay. I need Brandon up here. When he said, good morning, church, you guys all responded. When I say it, you're just like, huh? Oh. 
<laughs> so, Brandon, you come up here and I'll tap you. No. <laughs> All right. The second thing that we see about this is that he will come. Now, Peter wrote about scoffers who would come and the last time they'd say, you know, nothing has happened. And Christians have been saying this for millennia and Jesus hasn't come yet. And they're just delusional. No, Peter actually told us one of the things God was waiting for is he's waiting for those who would be redeemed to trust and follow Jesus. God is waiting for people to be saved. Now, could Jesus come right now? Yes. Before I finish this message, there could be a trumpet sound. We could be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Those of every one of you, men, women, and children, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, we would go up together. But I'd be a little ahead of you because I'm slightly higher. <laughs> no, we, it's going to be so instantaneous, there's no variation of degrees. You could be standing in Death Valley or standing on Mount Everest, and you would vote instantly. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet sound, we would be with the Lord. We'd be here then, just so quick. You wouldn't notice the difference. Uh, you wouldn't even have any sensation of time or movement. You'd be here and there, instantly. The prophets told of the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, coming to be the Savior of all men. And when Jesus left the earth to return to the Father in heaven, he said he would come again. We spent time talking about the rapture in our church services and talk. We spent time thinking about and talking about our glorious home in heaven. And there are many promises in the scripture that of what it might be like and what it will be like. And we have confidence in those promises. And the reason we have confidence in the promises that have not yet been fulfilled is because all the ones that have been fulfilled. Because we can look back and say, oh, there was this promise. Yep, that's exactly what happened. And there was that promise. Yep, that, and there was that other promise. And yep, that's exactly what happened. And so we can anticipate it in the future. It, it's the, the, in, in a way, this is how we trust other people, right? If someone has a track record of keeping their word, then we trust they're going to keep their word. If they have a track record of not keeping their word, then we're hesitant to trust them. But there were so many promises about the Messiah and so much fulfillment of those promises that a young maiden would conceive, a virgin would bear a son. And there was a promise he would be born in Bethlehem and that he would be called out of Egypt and that he would be called a Nazarene, that he would reveal the Father. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 even talk about his horrible suffering and death. Uh, Psalm 22 actually quotes the very words Jesus would say on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's exactly what the psalmist wrote because it was a prophecy. And Isaiah 53 said not only would he die and be buried with, with the uh, uh, thieves, with criminals, but he would rise from the dead. He would receive an inheritance after his death. 
And because of all these and many other promises fulfilled during the life of Christ, we now have confidence that this promise that has yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. It's going to happen. He will come. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> he will come. Amen. We're, we're going to see him. What a blessing. We will be with him. All right. Uh, the next thing I want you to think about is this. The end of your life on earth is not the end of your life. The end of your life on earth is not the end of your life. Yesterday I stood with Alice hugging her while we were standing by Gary's body. And Alice said, and it was true, he's gone. His soul and spirit went to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's exactly what happened. We can see it. You can tell the difference. When, when a person dies, when their body dies, you, you just see they kind of sag. I actually watched my brother and my mother die, not at the same time, years apart. And, and you could just see their, their body, there was substance, there was, and then they just kind of sag. Their soul and spirit were gone. And even before we could recognize they were dead, they were already in the presence of God. Long before medical people could pronounce them dead, they were with their Lord and Savior. Because your life on earth is just a little part of your life. Now, how many of you, how many of you can honestly remember anybody who's an adult, not the kids, but honestly remember something tragic that happened in your life when you were two? I mean, some people have phenomenal memories. I don't. My earliest memory, I think I'm three, some, three and a half, three plus. Uh, that's my earliest memory. Uh, and it was something tragic that stuck in my head. But, you know, when you're two, you know what you do? A lot of crying. You cry about a lot of things. You cry about things that don't matter to you anymore. You cry because you want somebody to change your diaper. Aren't you glad you don't need to cry about that anymore? You cry because you don't have food. You cry because you're cold. Now if you're cold, you put on a robe or a coat or gloves or a scarf. You know how to handle life better. But see, when you're a little, little kid, you don't have that capacity. You don't have that understanding. And you know what? When you're two years old and somebody says, you have to wait 10 minutes, that feels like a long time. And now at my age, if somebody says, I have to wait two years, I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty quick. <laughs> you know, things change. Your perspective changes. Life changes. And so now we're, we, we know the problems of this life are like those problems of those little kids. They will be forgotten. We will so move beyond them that we won't even remember what they were. 
The end of life is not the end. Job understood what the Bible clearly teaches, that our life does not cease when our body dies. We have many loved ones and dear friends in heaven, and we will see each one of them again. Each one. Our life does not cease. Uh, we do not elevate to a higher level of consciousness, like Jonathan Livingston Seagull's writer thought. We are completely and fully alive. Even our bodies will be resurrected and glorified. We will have spirit and soul and body with the Lord and with our loved ones. Now, if you compare Job chapter 1 with Job chapter 42, which we're not going to turn and we're not going to read those scriptures, but I put them as a reference for you. In Job chapter 1, Job has stuff. Now, in our day, if somebody's talking about wealth, and, you know, some guy wants to marry some girl, and so her dad says, well, are you going to be able to support my daughter and take care of her? And uh, the young man's not going to say, oh, yeah, man, I got female donkeys and camels. Um, you know, that's not how we gauge wealth today. They might say, well, I've got a decent job and I'm, I'm taking care of myself and uh, I've got a house or a car or uh, an apartment I can afford or, you know, something. By the way, I didn't do that to my daughter's prospective spouses. I didn't grill them about that. Except, no, I didn't. I didn't at all. I just, I just asked my daughters, you know, you, you feel like they're going to be able to take care of you? And they all said yes, and I said okay. Uh, but, but in their day, having sheep and camels and oxen and female donkeys, that's big stuff. And kids, you know, having children's always big stuff, even today. But look at the numbers of what he had. How many sheep did he have? Do you remember? 7,000. Have you ever been around sheep very much? A couple things you notice about sheep, and one is they stink. Sheep often are, are smellier than pigs. Because pigs are smelly because of the slop they eat and where they live, but sheep just stink. And uh, sheep, and then 3,000 camels, and 1,000 oxen, it's actually written in scripture as 500 yoke, which a yoke is two oxen yoked together, so that makes 1,000 oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and kids are on the bottom of the list just because it's the smallest number, right? How many kids did he have? Ten. Seven sons, three daughters. And so you go all through the book of Job, and there's all this horrible suffering, and by the way, all of those things listed there in chapter 1, he lost all of them in one day. Not only did he lose all of them, he lost all the servants except one who took care of his sheep and camels and oxen and female donkeys, and even all of his servants except one who served and helped his kids. He lost it all in one day. In fact, the way it's described, it could have... He could have found out all in just a few minutes because the first one comes up and talks about the losing of the sheep and while he, the, the loss of the sheep, grammatical goof there, 
And then while he's still talking, one comes up and talks about the camels. And while he's still talking, one comes up and talks about the oxen. And while he's still talking, one comes up and talks about the donkeys. And while he's still talking, one comes up and talks about his kids. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. Horrible losses. And Job really wrestled with it. He had a hard time with it. In fact, after his physical suffering started, then he finally started really questioning God. And he struggled. But by the end of Job, he learned to put his trust in God. To realize that God is in charge. And the pain that I go through today is something God will use in my life. And I can trust him. And so, then the end of Job, God blesses him. And he says he blesses him more than he did at the beginning. In fact, he doubles the sheep. Instead of 7,000, he now has 14,000. And the camels, he now has 6,000. And the oxen, he now has 2,000. And the donkeys, he now has 1,000. And, and the kids, he even got more kids. How many more? Not 20, just 10. Say, well, wait a minute. He got twice as many sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. How come he didn't get twice as many kids? Well, there's a very simple reason for that. When an animal dies, the animal dies. They are dead. They don't have an eternal soul. They don't live forever. They don't go to little donkey heaven or oxen heaven. They just die. But people live forever. And so as Job had been instructing his kids and modeling for his kids to trust and follow the Lord, then if those kids had trusted and followed the Lord, then Job still had 20 kids. He just had 10 on earth and 10 in heaven. And then eventually all those 10 on earth would also be in heaven. And then Job and Mrs. Job would also be in heaven. And so now there's Job and Mrs. Job and 20 kids in heaven worshiping the Lord together. Because your life on earth does not end when your life on earth ends. It is not the end of your life on earth. The end of your life on earth is just a blip, just a moment in the eternity of your life. If today is a statistically normal day, I actually had to practice saying that, <laughs> and, and if it is, then today between 156 and 158,000 people will end their life on earth today. But each one of those people will still be alive. Those who have not trusted Christ, who have rejected the work of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit trying to draw them to salvation, those who have rejected and not put their faith and trust in Jesus, those will die and go to hell. And they will suffer. But those who have received Christ as Savior, they will die and instantly go be with the Lord. There, there is no in-between. There is no middle ground. You're here or you're there. And when you die, there's only two places you can go. 
I watched a movie once that was mildly entertaining as a movie, uh, but the theology of the movie was terrible. They said, when you die, then your eternity is based, your afterlife is based on how you believed in this life. So kind of the idea was, if you believed in reincarnation, you would be reincarnated. If you believed in Jesus Christ, then you'd go be with Jesus Christ. If, if you believed in nirvana, then you'd go to nirvana. It, it didn't make any sense theologically. The Bible says there's only one plan of salvation to trust and follow, believe in Jesus Christ. In him is salvation, and there is salvation in no other, just Jesus. And so the end of your life is not the end for anybody. But for those who have not trusted Christ, no matter how bad their life on earth was, it gets worse when they die. And those who have trusted Christ, no matter how good their life on earth was, it gets better. It gets better. And four, you will see him. You will see him. Now, what will God the Father look like in heaven? I don't know. I, God the Father doesn't have flesh and bones. Jesus does because he was incarnated. He became a human being. <clears throat> The Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. Will there be a special color that we'll see in heaven that will be the Father and the Spirit and it'll be all around us? I, I don't know. I'm just hoping I get to see color in heaven. You know, that'll be pretty cool. Uh, but, but we don't know. This we do know. We will see Jesus Christ. We will see him. And I don't know why, but the scars that Jesus had were still on his resurrected body. So in his resurrected body, as he was with the disciples, he could say, look at the scars on my hands. I'll put your hand in the wound in my side. And, and so we will see his scars. I don't know if our scars will still be visible in heaven. Maybe they will for martyrs who died for Christ or people who suffered for Christ. I hope I don't have some of the scars I have just for being a dumb little boy. I hope those scars are all gone in heaven. Uh, but, but Jesus will be there in all of his glory. And his, humanly speaking, one of his best friends on earth was the apostle John. And John is called in the scripture, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John and Jesus had a close relationship. It was so close that when Jesus was dying on the cross, Jesus looked down and saw John and said, you take care of my mom. And he looked at his mom and said, he's now your son. And so Jesus didn't leave his brothers in charge of their mom. He left John in charge of their mom because they were believers. And at that point, his brothers weren't. And they became believers after the resurrection. But at the crucifixion, they were not. And so Jesus um, had the scars and he had the difficulties, but, but you're going to see him and you're going to see him in all of his glory. And when John saw him in his glory on the Isle of Patmos, as he describes in Revelation, uh, John said he fell down like a dead man. 
He was so blown away by the awesomeness of who Jesus is and the glory emanating from Jesus. And you know, in this life on earth, John had seen Jesus in a little bit of glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, but nothing like what he saw after the resurrection. Just awesome glory. And you will see him for yourself. As the songwriter said, face to face we shall behold him. Another said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's absent from the body, present with the Lord. We're gone, we're there, we're him, and we will see him. And I like the way Job describes it here. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He knows that even though his body will decompose in the grave, and even after his body has decomposed, he will live to see his Redeemer. And then he said, whom I will see for myself, and my eye shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me, how I faint and long for that day. Because we will see him. We will be with him. And, and you know, right now, we live by faith. But in heaven, we won't live by faith. In heaven, we'll live by sight. We will see him, and we will follow him, and we will grow in our relationship with him. And he will welcome you home. Now, I know there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ, and believers will be judged for what they have done after their salvation. And will be reward, receive some rewards or not receive some rewards, depending on how faithful we've been. But every single one of us will be welcomed home. Welcomed home. I have watched moms welcome home a son who just got out of prison or just got out of jail or just got out of the hospital for some crazy thing that he had done. And that mom doesn't judge. She just welcomes him home. Now, not every mom would do that. Some would be more judgmental. I was reading a book about one guy, and he said um, that after he got home, his dad gave him a fierce bear hug and then gave him the worst whipping of his life because <laughs> he was so glad his son was saved and so mad that his son did what he did. And, but the Lord will welcome us home. And you know, in this life, it feels tragic when somebody dies young. But when you're with the Lord, it's all good. Amen. Doesn't matter when you go, it matters where you go. Amen. When you're in Christ, um, Solomon wrote long ago in Ecclesiastes that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now he wrote it from a cynical perspective because he was trying to imagine what life would be like without the knowledge of God. And he said life is pointless and, and, uh, and suffering and so dying would be preferable. But for, truth is for a believer, dying is preferable. 
we be with the Lord. Now, it's wrong to commit suicide. It's wrong to end your life prematurely. Uh, God's in charge of your days and you trust him. But you know, when your time comes, I'll tell you what my mom did. My mom said she did not want to receive a feeding tube. She absolutely did not want to receive a feeding tube. And if it came to the place where she couldn't eat, we should just let her go. And so that's what mom wanted. And uh, my dad put my older sister and I as the medical people to make the decisions for mom and for him. And, uh, and so when mom had Parkinson's, you know what Parkinson's does, you, eventually your body shuts down and your capacity to swallow stops because those muscles don't work and, and, and then you die. And it came to that point in my mom's life and the medical doctor, uh, the doctor said, uh, you know, we, we really should put in a feeding tube. And my dad said, she didn't want one. And so the doctor turned to, to me, my sister wasn't there at the time, and he said, but I think we should put in a feeding tube. And I said, we can't. Dad and Denise and I promised mom we would follow her desire and she doesn't want a feeding tube because she has trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. And so if her time is now, she doesn't want to artificially prolong her life. Now, me personally, you know, if I fall on the floor and people say, oh wait, he doesn't want to be resuscitated. If you can zap me and get my heart going again, I'm all for that, okay? Uh, mom wasn't saying, don't do anything at all for me. She was saying, when it comes to the very end, don't try to artificially prolong my life. See, those who are Christians, we know where we're going. We're going to be with the Lord. It's a win-win for believers. Sad, a grief for the family left behind. Absolutely. But we have to remember, we'll see him again. Just like Job said, I know I will see my Redeemer. I can say, I know I will see my Redeemer. And because of my Redeemer, I will see my loved ones who preceded me. My dear friends who are there with the Lord. My parents and grandparents, my brother, my nephew. I know I will see them again. Because of Jesus Christ and what he did. You will see him. See, that's our great future, right? Heaven, baby. Whenever I did something Kathy thought was a little reckless, a little uh, <clears throat> hazardous, when we were younger, of course. Now, I don't do that anymore. Right? Uh, uh, but she would say, you could have died. And my response was always the same. Heaven, baby. <laughs> you know? I, 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 don't, I no longer do reckless things on purpose. Um, <laughs> it's not scene, so I sometimes do reckless things on accident, but, uh, but I don't do them on purpose anymore. But you know what? When the end of your life comes, you're going home. And the story's told a true historical reference. A guy was dying, and he was, he was in the hospital, and he knew the end was very near 
And his son said, Dad, how do you feel right now? He said, like a little kid looking forward to Christmas morning. I'm going to be with my Savior. Now, when Job wrote these words, Job thought he would die. Job thought he would die. He had lost everything. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his health. He thought he would die. He didn't know he was going to get over this. But he said, after I'm dead and after my body's decomposed, I will see the Lord. And he knew the great future that he had. And you and I can have confidence that if the end comes, whenever it comes, whether on earth we think, wow, that's way too soon. I, I would way rather have people think I died too soon than I stuck around too long. You know? <laughs> but but if, if we think it was too soon on earth, we're with the Lord no matter what. We're with Him. More than 30 years ago when I became a pastor, there was a lady in our church named Muriel and she was going in for quintuple bypass surgery. She was not in the best of health. She had other health issues, not just her heart. The doctor came in to talk with her right before the surgery and I was sitting with her, I prayed with her and the doctor came in and he said, Muriel, are you sure you want to do the surgery? Now, your lifespan is limited if you don't have the surgery, but this surgery is kind of risky. Are you sure you want to do this? And she said, he said, there's a, a possibility you could die in surgery. She said, listen, doc, I'm going to be fine either way. If this surgery works and I come out of it, I'm going to have a better life on earth. And if I die in surgery, I go to be with Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I'm just fine either way. But what about you? Are you ready if today were your last day on earth? Are you ready? And so that's a question that Mary will ask that doctor. I'm going to ask you. Are you ready? Have you received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ? If you have not, we'd love to show you from the scripture how you can trust and follow him. If you have trusted him as your savior, do you trust him with your days on earth? Do you have confidence that he knows best and that no matter what, the end result, you get to go be with him? Can you, like Job, honestly say, <coughs> I know my Redeemer lives. And in the latter days, he's going to stand on the earth, and I will see him for myself. Even after my body is decomposed, I will see him. Because he's going to take our soul and spirit to heaven instantly when our life on earth ends. And then eventually he's going to raise up our body and we'll be reunited with him forever in a glorified body that'll never get old and hopefully won't be as klutzy as our bodies on earth can be sometime. And we will forever be with the Lord. If you don't know that absolutely today, if on your way home you died in a car accident, 
if you don't have confidence that if this month was a month, we would have your memorial service, but you'll be in heaven with Jesus. If you're not confident about the fact that you will be in heaven, please talk to somebody here. Ask them to show you from the scripture. If they can't show you that, then they'll find somebody who can. Because we want you to know like Job, that your Redeemer lives and you know you will see him. Because the promises in God's word are true. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust you in life. We can trust you in death. We can trust you in discomfort. We can trust you in, in blessings. We can just trust you no matter what. Because you are the trustworthy one. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today who has never trusted Christ as Savior, who has not yet done that, I pray that today they will receive you as Savior. For those of us that have received you as Savior, may we rejoice, rejoice like Job. We know we'll see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.